Hi, I'm Kosha. And I'm Shaylushi. And we're sisters and the co-hosts of the podcast, I Am Speaking with Shaylushi and Kosha. This podcast focuses on sharing and amplifying the voices of people who have felt othered. We've had the chance to hear so many amazing stories. And during season two, one of our running jokes together was that once VP Kamala Harris heard about this podcast, she was definitely going to call us to be a guest, but that we would have to turn her down because her story didn't fit with our theme for that season. But that joke was really the seed for this series. I am speaking with expert voices, an arm of our original and still ongoing podcast. We're excited to share with you the stories and expertise of people who are at the forefront of their fields. And Madam Vice President, with the launch of I Am Speaking with Expert Voices, we are now ready for you to join us at any time. I think that was good, right? Welcome, listeners. We have another episode of I Am Speaking Expert Voices today. Joel Hubbard, who is one of the co-founders of Art of Growth, which is a personal coaching and growth organization that uses the Enneagram to help people sort of live their best lives. What we're going to hear in this episode is him talk both about what that journey has been like for him, but also how he uses the Enneagram to help other people move along their own journey. I learned about the Enneagram through you probably a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Yeah, that's about right. And, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I was not suspicious is not the right word, but I was skeptical in the beginning. Cause I'm like those personality, there's so many like of those personality tests yeah. and I'm like, okay, so someone is stubborn and you know, like, uh, they want their way all the time or whatever, you know, the, 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 the quality, the qualities in those personality tests. I'm just like, isn't everyone kind of like that? Or you can kind of fit everybody in one of those categories, but a um, couple things. I was really surprised at how the Enneagram, how different it is than like, let's say, you know, the, what's the other one? Myers-Briggs. The Myers-Briggs. Like yeah. That. That's like one of the more popular ones. And how old it is. Like just because it's popular now, it actually, and we hear from Joel, um, it goes back a ways. Yes, absolutely. For me, what I love about the Enneagram, and you'll hear more about this listeners as you, you know, as we go through the episode, but it's a tool that helps me and helps lots of people do three things that are being really valuable in the world we live in today. It helps me understand, it has helped me understand my motivation, not just my behavior, not, it's not an observation-based thing like, oh, you're like this and you, you know, you're like that. Um, but it's really about why are you like this? What drives you to be like that? Once you get to there, you can kind of get a sense of like, oh, why do other people do that? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face in this modern world is why is why are other people seem like they're operating in a completely different world than I am? You know, we're both looking at the same thing, but we're reacting in very different ways. Why? Third, and this is really where it's supposed to go. And I know it's, a, you know, it's really popular now. And a lot of people um, just like it as a self-descriptive tool and that's fine. Right. But ultimately it can show us what we need to do, the steps we can take to sort of release ourselves from our preoccupations and sort of be more fully balanced. However you define that. 
and this is something, this is a beef I have with other personality tests also is that they really focus on what your pitfalls are or what your weaknesses or your shortcomings might be. This is really different in the way that, you know, it's not trying to cover up, you know, throw a tarp over what you don't like. It, it really tries to lift up the parts of you that are our strengths. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love talking to Joel too. I've had the pleasure of being coached by him for the last year and a half or so in group coaching. And I'm sure it was kind of fun because you were on his podcast not that long ago. And so the tables were a little bit turned. He was such a, such a lovely man. I really loved, there were a couple of times I would say something and he, he paused. I have anxiety. So I was like, oh God, maybe that was stupid. Like, did I say something dumb? And then no, he was just thinking about what mm -hmm. I said and pondering on it. And there was a couple of times he just was like, I really like that concept. Like, I really like that. Oh my God, this guy is so thoughtful. I, I, I really think that people are going to really enjoy this episode. I hope so. And I hope not only that they enjoy it, but I hope that listening to this episode helps, encourages them to learn about the Enneagram more and to use the Enneagram as a way to understand themselves and others. You know, the more we can spread that in the world. I mean, that in some ways, that's what we're doing on this podcast. So enjoy everyone. Enjoy I Am Speaking with Expert Voices, Joel Hubbard. Okay, well, I am Joel Hubbard, and I go by he, him, his, uh, and I am speaking. Welcome, Joel. I'm so excited to talk to you on this side of the microphone or on this side <laughs> of the podcast instead of the other side. Me too. Yeah, you've been on you've been on Joel's podcast, right? I have. So for our listeners um, who may know that I was uh, featured as a guest on the Art of Growth podcast, talking about being a social eight. Um, we will get into that a little bit. Um, if you want to know more, I definitely encourage you to go to the Art of Growth website and we will drop those uh, links in the liner notes then at the end of the episode. But yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about coaching. We're going to talk about Enneagram and we're going to talk a lot about Joel's journey and how he and his team ended up doing what they're doing. So I just want to start then by asking you, Joel, I know that you come from the church world originally. Can you talk about like the big picture journey and sort of set it up in terms of where you started and where you are now. And then we can sort of dig in a little bit on certain parts of that journey. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. I'm super excited to be here with you. Um, my journey. Yeah. did sort of begin uh, in the church world. I began, um, you know, my parents were very church oriented people in the conservative evangelical world. And so that was, that was our upbringing. Uh, we went to church every single Sunday, sometimes multiple times during the week. And, um, and that was my world. Uh, we even went to private schools that were Christian, probably around the, eh, maybe nine, 10 years old. Started having a sense of, um, a deep sense of uh, calling. And I think that's what's interesting about the church world is that it tends to believe things. And then because of certain beliefs, is what I've learned about just all of us and, and, and uh, as humans, 
is whatever beliefs we have, we tend to manifest those things. So if you believe that you are, um, you have a particular calling or you believe that you can interact with the divine, uh, generally you have spiritual experiences that I think are available to every human, but just in, in that culture, in that world, um, because of their belief in it, their strong belief in it, people tended to have them. And so I had mine and I believed I had sensed this sort of calling to, uh, to ministry. And um, so I pursued that, ended up in Bible college, seminary. I did the typical thing that a lot of us do, which was youth ministry full-time and then became a leader, a lead pastor or senior pastor of a church and did that for a bunch of years. And, um, and as I kept growing, what I found was my own sense of self, my own sense of um, uh, my own perspective of the divine and of um, spirituality was also changing and growing. And it was difficult to hold that sometimes in containers that don't want to change as much. And they kind of want to hold on to a particular set of beliefs and, and doctrines and so forth. And so it was hard. I don't know that I did it well at all. I think I did it um, quite poorly, but um, but I was trying to hold both. I was trying to play in that world while I was changing. And I know a lot of leaders like myself who are in that space and it's extraordinarily difficult. I have a new level of compassion for people who are in those systems. But eventually um, we were able to start making some changes. And as we made those changes, um, I realized like the more I did that, the more I was burning out. And as I was burning out and doing things really badly, I wasn't aware at the time of the Enneagram or per, of this particular you know, personality systems I was, uh, I was familiar with, Myers-Briggs, DISC, and, um, and a few others. And, uh, and as I was burning out badly, um, I was becoming angrier and a lot of repressed anger started coming up and out and it was coming out and it was coming out at my family. And so uh, my wife took the brunt of it. My son, who I adored with everything in me, was taking the brunt of my, my anger as well. And it was then that I think I started having moments of saying, there's something deeply wrong. And when I finally physically couldn't do anything anymore, because I was so burned out and sick, um, is when I uh, stumbled. And again, these things are so mysterious how you land on something. Sometimes you, you think, how did I end up? How did I end up running into the Enneagram or how did, where, where did I first hear, but I can barely recall it, but I do remember listening to podcasts and it was the only one that was out there. And it was uh, the road back to you with uh, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And when I was hearing it, I was thinking, this is speaking to me in ways that nothing else has ever spoken to me. And so I began reading about it. And for the first time my type, my personality type, I don't keep anything in, in secretly or inwardly, <laughs> just whatever's, whatever's in me tends to come out. Uh, and so I am an evangelist of everything I like, you know, so it's like, hey, mountain biking. Oh, man, you guys got to try it, right? So it's, and it's always the latest, you know, whatever's happening. So, you know, when I pair up with uh, Jim, my, uh, my buddy and uh, uh, co-host on the Enneagram, we both, I mean, we do it to each other. It's like, you know, he gets me into something and then I'll get him into something. So I think at that point when I started really diving more deeply into the Enneagram was when I realized uh, I had discovered something that would change my life for the rest of my life that would be with me. And while that was happening, I was also starting to feel this pull outside of the church world because I knew that I no longer fit and I hadn't fit 
for a while, but I'm, I'm not the one to pull the bandaid off fast in, in literally I do, <laughs> but when it comes to things, like this, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I take, I, 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 it's, it was so hard for me. I, I just, it was hard to let go. It was hard to, to call something what it was, which was, this isn't working. It was super hard. Probably for something like that, when you leave, there's a, you felt like there was no going back. Was there a sense of like, I have to make sure this is the right decision because I'm not going back to this if I say, if I walk away? Yeah, I mean, so I have a different internal feeling, which is probably <clears throat> the naivete, uh, which other people call stupid, uh, that believes that I can always come back. I can always bounce back. But the thing that was the hardest for me is my personality won't let go. It won't let go of a source. If it feels like it's got to cling to a source that produces something, even if it's not good, it's like dirty water is better than no water for my personality. So it's like, I'll take it and I'll just like, okay, it's got, it's given me something. And so I have the hardest, yeah, it's, 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 it's so deep in me that I can see it and go, I know it's real and I know that it's wrong and I still have the hardest time choosing otherwise. So this was one that just took me a while. And I literally said to Jim and Suzanne at one point, I said, I know what I have to do, but I don't have the courage to do it. And I'm okay with that right now. I just know that it's coming. I, and, and my system, my spirit, something's going to start to get stronger and I'm, I'll be able to make that decision. And it did. And I got to a place where I was able to say, okay, it's time. You know, when you talk about courage and letting go, would you say that it's a lot like the trust of letting go of the trapeze and jumping from one to another, right? Absolutely. That's the analogy I use. It's, it's, it's that feeling of I'm, I'm going to let go and I'm going to be hanging in the middle of the air. Now I'm trusting. And then I have to trust that I'm going to be able to grab a hold of the next one. Right. And, um, and a lot of us, and I think that a lot of us would rather, I mean, it's more natural to, to have a grip of the next one before you let go of the previous one. Mm -hmm. And something told me deep down inside, this is not going to be your path. That's not going to be the way this is going to work. You're going to have to let go before you are able to cling to the next thing. And, and, uh, and so that was terrifying. And I think at that point, I, that's what took me all, the, all that time to gain that courage. Because I knew it wasn't, you're letting go of this. Because this has been my, my, my pattern for, for a long time, has been, in order to let go of this, I'm going to change what is, or I'm going to, I'm going to create what it is that I want to cling on to next. And then that's what causes me to have so many ideas and to be constantly moving and changing because I am much more of a pioneer than I am of a settler. I'm much more of a hunter than a gatherer. And so I need change. I need something new, uh, but I can't quite let go of the previous. So I create something new and then I'm able to let go. Right. This one was that the path didn't want me to do that. And it was clear to me. It was like, nope, you're closing the door and you're going to be hanging in the air for a bit. And then you're going to discover a new way, a new way of living. And it's going to be more truthful and more grounded and more settled. And you're going to have to trust. That's why it took me so long. <laughs> yeah. For those of you, I mean, you all can't see, but I'm like breathing and like fanning my face. Uh, Joel and I on this Enneagram chart whatever whatever it is it's not really a chart but on the enneagram where our personalities are uh, you know touch each other they're right next to each other and so there are some similarities that we share and this idea of trust is trust trust that things will work out right trust that the unknown will that manifesting 
is so difficult. You're like, no, I want to, I want to make it happen. I want to make it happen. Not to have it. I don't want to have it happen. I want to make it happen. Oh yeah. It's control. Yeah. I mean, and we all need it at a level, at a certain level, we need control. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the Enneagram though was helpful in this part of your transformation and, or was it sort of the beginning of letting go of one thing and moving into another? You said, you know, you referenced Road Back to You, which is a fantastic book, but were there other sources or was that how you got into the Enneagram and then you started studying that a lot more? Yeah, I think I started reading uh, certain mystics. So I've, I, I had never really understood mystics in the past. I was like, what are they saying exactly? So, but this one, this time it really started to speak to me at a deeper level because I, I think I was ready for it. You know, it's always that thing of if you're not ready, you don't, just don't see it. You know, you don't understand it. And so I think I was finally ready and I started reading mystics and uh, particularly the Christian mystics, you know, and, but then I would, I would read stuff and I'd hear uh, other people speak about. I remember playing racquetball with a guy. I don't know where from India he was, but he was from India. And uh, he and I were uh, enjoyed playing with each other. And he asked me, turned around, he said, so I don't know what provoked this question and dialogue, but he said, so do you, do you know about what we believe? And I said, no, not really, except for the stereotypes and the stuff that I've, but I, that I don't believe that is represents anybody. Um, and he said, yeah, well, and, and he described his version, which was, no, we don't worship many gods. Mm-hmm. And I knew what, why he was stating it that way. It's because he knew that I was coming from a Christian background. And the stereotype is that it's a polytheistic yeah. religion, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've, heard that gr- we've heard that our entire lives growing up. I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, and it's really frustrating when you're always having to. Correct. Yeah, and instruct, and it's, uh, yeah, um, and, but he did such a beautiful job of just saying to me very simply, no, they're just aspects, they represent these, uh, these, these deities represent aspects of that which we can't name, that's just sort of a way that he was saying it, and I thought, well, that's, yeah, well, of, of course, like, right, like, I'm, I'm saying, well, yeah, well, that makes all the sense in the world, right, <laughs> that's what I began finding is, as I was talking to different people as i was reading and hearing about the mystics from the different traditions the different different religions is that there was something they were pointing to and they were all pointing to that thing but they were pointing to it from different perspective or just different language and jargon and constructs right but they weren't interested in the construct whereas my upbringing the the religious structure was very interested in the containers. It was almost like a a worship of the container. So these are your doctrines, these are your beliefs, these are your, you know, practices, but not the thing, not what was inside the container, the contents. And, uh, and then I was reading Richard Rohr uh, on that. And he uses that term, which is that, you know, moving from the first stage of your life, you're more interested in the container. Second stage, you're more interested in the contents. And I just was, wow. And I was hitting that. It was at that point, I felt like I was moving to what he was calling. And he quotes, of course, it takes a lot from Carl Jung, the second stage of life, second half of life. And so all of that stuff started to speak to me in ways that was revolutionizing my life. Once I landed on the Enneagram, now it gave me a window into myself. 
And it gave me a way to actually structure all that was coming in. Because now I had a personality, I could look at it and recognize why do certain things speak to me so deeply? And why are some things so difficult? And it had to do with my personality type. And so I could see, you know, I'd, I'd hear the words from Richard Rohr, understimulate. And I would, but I'd say, oh God, I hate that word. <laughs> like, why do I hate that word so much? And, and it was because that's my path. That's why I must go. I must do that. But I can't stand. I can't stand a second of not being stimulated by something. And so those things led me to burnout, right? Your body can't stand stimulation, overstimulation. It, it can't. Yeah, it's a nonstop. It's like it's, a, it's appropriate to have some. It's actually really good. But not to have it where I was just needing it nonstop. And it was that was my addiction. And to this day, it still is. It still is a thing I have to fight against. It's not like I'm free from it. But I've been practicing less of it. And I know how to understimulate in ways that actually restore my energy and my creativity. So, you know, and so that, that stuff started making sense. Okay, <clears throat> there's my type. And now all of this stuff, this wonderful stuff that's coming from the world of mystics, from different traditions, all of this stuff was starting to make sense. Yeah, it just gave me a way to organize who I was and what my path was. And for the first time, I could actually go, I have a map. My God, why was this never handed to me? Like, why did we not do this when we were young? Like, you need a map. You need to know where are you? What's your, what are your te temptations? What are the things that you're going to likely do because you're your type? And what are the ways that you can actually grow to the high side, the power, the superpower, the gift of your type? That is incredibly beautiful. It's your light, you know? And so those are the things that began to inspire me. And I wanted more to aim my life towards what is it that we are here to do? Not, 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 not anybody telling us, but we know it in here. Like there's an inner, yeah, this is the thing that scares me. What is it that we're here to do? Because it's more about that than it is about what are the things that suck about me, you know? And what ways do I have to fix me? You know, what it's, that's the thing that I, that I get concerned about in the self-help world. It's like it can become so focused on your badness, your problems, the things that you're not doing right. That the, and even the improvement stuff is like it, the ways to improve. It's still focused on the thing that you're not supposed to do. And so it's like the improvement is don't do those things. And one of the things I learned in mountain biking very early on, I was doing some rock hopping. And, um, and the thing with, with uh, that kind of off-road mountain biking is one of the number one, there's a few rules. One of the biggest rules is whatever you don't want to hit, yeah, don't look at that thing. Look at where you want to go. And uh, because if you look, if your head turns to the thing you're afraid of running into, you're going to run into it. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, and you think it's easy, right? Everybody's like, oh yeah, sure, I got that. No, it's not. It's ridiculously difficult because when you're going down this stupid little path and there are roots and rocks and trees, your attention's gonna go to all three. <laughs> <laughs> Not to the little path. Not to the little path. You're gonna go to that damn friggin' roots. And then like, oh shit, there's a big ass tree right in front of me. <laughs> like you're, you're always gonna be looking at that instead of going, look, it, it takes such Zen mindset to like focus in, relax, tune in and be, be just, um, 
receptive. What's, what's happening in this moment? How do I move? How do I trust my bike, trust my body? And just continue to, to go down that path. Well, it's so deeply spiritual. It all is. And so that's the stuff that I more and more became tuned into. I want to be something, not, not something. And, and that is, I think, a different way of, of thinking about growth. And that began to inspire me and move me forward. So initially, you see your darkness and you're like, shit, there's so much of it. <laughs> you see the things that you don't like, right? And then it's receptivity of grace, like, okay, grace, grace, grace to me. And then tuning the attention to what is it that I want to be? Uh, because that best version of that better version of myself, I've seen it before. And I like it. And people around me like it too. So. We've talked about that a couple of times on the podcast um, from different guests. And it's that thing that people, that makes you unique and makes you you and it, that light, like you're saying, and it's like, there's some people who are going to see that and go, that's weird. I don't want to be your friend. Like, I don't need to be around you. That's weird. Another person who's going to say, that's weird. And that's okay. We yeah. just won't talk about it. We won't yeah. talk about that thing that makes you weird. We'll just do all the other stuff that's not so strange. And then there are those people who go, that's weird about you. And that's awesome. Yeah. And let's focus on that. Let's talk about it. Let's put it in the limelight. And that's kind of what you're saying about what your journey has been, but about yourself, not about seeing that in somebody else, but that you're like, first you're like, oh God, no, absolutely not. Put it away, you know, close it in a closet and not look at it. Then you're like being okay with it, being zen with it. Like, this is just who I am. And then realizing that the next stage is holding that thing up and being like, this is what I have to offer the world. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful construct of that. Mm, yeah, that feels good. I think that that's also how you begin to think about what you allow in at the closest levels to you, to yourself are people that support that, the people that, um, yeah, people that will celebrate your light and, and, uh, and come alongside of you. That's the tricky part for a lot of us is it's, you know, we have family. What do you do with that? <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> On the day after Thanksgiving, we are talking about how do we deal with family? So be prepared for a 10 hour podcast. <laughs> That's we right. Two sisters running this podcast. So there's a lot of that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and that's the stuff that I have family members asking me about that, you know, like nieces and nephews and like, how do you, you know, I don't really want to do this and be with this person. And yeah, it's talking through it. Uh, what are some things that you can do to, um, and it's not just running away from difficulty. It's not, that's not the message here. It's not running away from difficulty, running away. It's just recognizing that there are some stages you get to where you realize in order for me to go to the next, I have to let go of something. And, and there's always a letting go, but the letting go is to take hold of something else. And you do need people that are really like cheering you on and, and helping you to move to that. And that's, a, that's, that's part of the responsibility of taking care of your light. You know, I described it as everybody has a garden. So I use this metaphor from, you know, my tradition, which has this story in Genesis with the garden. And, and I think all of us have a garden that is ours to, to keep to take care of, to nurture, you know, and it's our inner world. And, you know, we don't, sometimes we'd rather take care of someone else's garden, or sometimes we want to go eat someone else's 
vegetables, you know, and yet we have this rich garden that's already here and it's ours to nurture and to take care of. And, um, and that also means that there are some people that don't know how to properly enter your garden and they will want to tromp around in there. Um, and, um, and those, those are difficult because in some cases they are family members, they're people we love. And so, you know, it's tougher to have some boundaries around that. Um, but it's to keep our attention on, this is a good garden and I want to take care of it. How do I do that? And that's the question that guides us. Not so much the answers of, well, you should do this and you should do that. Well, everybody's going to have an opinion. But it's tuning into that question and letting that question guide you. And they're frustrating. Those questions are frustrating. But boy, they're so good. And they'll tell us. The answer will rise up from within us. The wisdom's always there. They'll rise up. And there'll be that one thing that you know that you need to do and you don't want to do it. <laughs> but, I don't want to but, ask that question. I don't want to ask that question. <laughs> This is what we should tell people. Listen, you don't want to, if you don't want to enter the spiritual journey, just don't ask those questions and you'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. I think I really love that, um, the analogy or the image of a garden, right? Because it also goes back to the light and the dark, which is like, you're going to get weeds. Every garden has weeds. If you continually pull out the weeds, you won't have weeds necessarily, although they always sprout back up. So you spend all your time pulling out weeds, but your garden, what you're actually growing doesn't thrive. You might not get any, you know, you might not get the harvest that you want at the end of the season. You have some plants growing there, but they're not going to thrive. Now, should we be addressing our weeds? Yeah, we got to make sure they don't take over the garden. But if we focus so much on that, then we're not actually going to have anything to harvest, right? Oh, that's so good. So good. That's excellent analogy, man. I like that. Well, and you're the one that gave me the analogy of being a greenhouse, right? That you you can't force things to grow. You can't do the growing for them, but you can can create, you can help people find the conditions for which their growth can happen. Joel's like, I'm really good. (laughs) I had a moment. I did say that. (laughs) That was good. Maybe I should actually live by it, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, my type wants to help do things for people, fix, you know, fix the situations for people. Instead of being like, you know, not everyone doesn't want an answer shoved down their throat. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we're right here at the, I think, at the, at the pivot point between, you know, for you finding the Enneagram and then starting Art of Growth. But I would really love if you don't mind taking two minutes and just give our listeners like the elevator pitch of what the Enneagram is. Because I clearly am like, like eyeball deep in it. <laughs> and my sister is maybe neck deep because she's my sister and she listens to me. <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, wow. Elevator pitches are really hard for me, but I'll, I'll do my for best. a really tall building. An elevator for a tall building. <laughs> Thank right, you. So Take as much time as you yeah, want. Yeah, doesn't have to be two minutes or two floors. It could be, we're at the Sears Tower. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. We're going for a long elevator right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the, this, this is my problem being my type. It's like almost nothing I say is short. Um, and then other ones, other people come along and go, so is this what you were saying? In like two sentences? <laughs> you're like, how did you do that? Yeah. You're like, damn you, why? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So the Enneagram is a, it, it is, it does fall into the personality system sort of category oftentimes, but it really isn't that. It's much more of a uh, body of wisdom that's been passed on for thousands of years. Um, and, uh, you know, humans who have ever looked at themselves or looked at how other people behave have begun, have always been able to see, boy, there's certain patterns of behavior, right? We're not the first to think about this as, you know, those of us who are in the West educated, you know, it's, it's been around for a long time. The system was passed on orally for, uh, for many, many hundreds of years, and eventually was formed into what it is um, in the 70s by a man named Oscar Ichazo, and, um, and that gave us the nine personality types. The Enneagram of personality was what it was called when it was formed in the 70s. And this gave us uh, the nine different personality types that um, are broken out into three centers of intelligence. We have all three centers. We have all nine types within us. The thing is that we have one type that tends to be the bigger piece of that pie. And we tend to have a center that is the dominant center from which we, from which we live and process life. So we have the head, the heart and the body or the gut. And those three centers are the ones that we have all three, but there's one of them that will tend to lean from much more and we'll work from, we'll process life through. And, um, and so that is, uh, these nine personality types are, they, they're kind of with us from, from birth in the sense that we already have a predisposition towards something, not the behaviors necessarily, but a lean, it's like I say, you're, you know, you come with some assembly require. That's how you're born. Uh, there seems to be genetic material that's there. That's not something that uh, your parents did to you. <laughs> but you're, you were born this way um, and you heard certain messages because you were predisposed to. And so your take on it is different than a sibling's take on it, which is the reason why you can be raised the same way as your sister or your brother. You can be identical twins. I've typed identical twins who I knew the parents extremely well and they were raised the same way and they came out dramatically different from each other. Um, and so I do think we're born with a predisposition. We hear these certain messages, they stick in us because we are sensitive to them. And then our interpretations of all of that is what forms our structure, our personality. It also is what creates our reality. All of our realities are constructed realities. And they're constructed by us. They're constructed by, um, yeah, initially we inherit that from our family, but then we construct our own. Um, and our own reality is self-fulfilling prophecies. We believe certain things, we manifest them. <laughs> they become real in our worlds. So the wonderful news about that is all of that can change. And they can change uh, to improve and to grow with us, uh, to give us that better uh, life, the better version of ourselves that's already within us can actually finally start to emerge when we become aware. So the Enneagram is about awareness, bringing awareness to your personality type. It can be a really, really powerful tool as both Joel and Kosha can attest to just in my own growth has been the ability to sort of just take that breath and go, oh, this is how I'm showing up in this moment. You know, this is, my personality is, it's manifesting itself in this way. 
and pull back just a little and be like, oh, that's interesting that I'm doing this. You can still choose to do it or not, but oh, look at, look at what I'm doing. It totally fits the kind of person I tell myself I am. There are certain things, again, that, you know, how I was talking about, like that weirdness that I've always tried to like push away. And so I, okay, children might have to help me. I'm a five, dominant five. And um, I'm a sexual five, right? Okay. So I'm like, Rachel, <laughs> uh, that's what, that's how we talked about it. Like, so haven't been officially typed, no, but correct, correct. But I am a five when I take any of the like free, free tests or whatever. So it was always like, oh my God, Kosha, she delves, right? Like I delve into everything. I want to learn about bats. I, I, I did work on bats in my undergrad. I know everything about bats. I'm a runner. I know everything about every marathoner ever. I love information. And it was always something up until recently where I'm like, you know, Kosha talks a lot about X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, and I would just try to cover it up. I'd be like, I want to say something. I have something really cool to say about a marathoner that just did something. And I'm going to be quiet about it because that's embarrassing that people think I talk too much about the three things that I'm really excited about. And then as Shailshi and I've talked about my type and this and that, and she's like, um, but when you lean into your type, you actually can help people do X, Y, Z, or you can, you know, like there's so much positive that can come, like, instead of, as you were saying, blocking that out because you think it's going to annoy people or something, how do we actually lift that up? Because otherwise you're fighting against who you are on the inside. Like you're fighting against just the fabric of yourself. I personally, secondhand, but I found a lot of solace and peace in learning about like how you are a healthy five versus an unhealthy five and what people do and whether, and also you're able to say a lot like, oh, this isn't about me we're talking about our mom or something and she'll do something and I'll be so angry about it. And she'll, she will say something like, but mom's a two. And this is what happens when twos are under stress. And then you're able to take that step back as you were saying, she'll she and say like, oh, so when she did that, it's not about me. And that's actually liberating in and of itself because not everything is about you. Yeah. Yeah. You've said so, there's so much with what you've said that is rich and you know, it, it's, and we tend to break, I tend to break things out in, in categories. So it's helpful for my own thinking and, and communicating, but you have the other, you have people, you have yourself, and then you have the space between you and those people. So there's three dynamics that are always at play. There's your type and your type is you're looking for something, or it's, it's got a particular way of seeing the world. And then this other person has a particular way of seeing the world. And then there's what happens when the two of you are interacting. What's happening is you're trying to read, like, I, am I too much? It feels like I'm too much because they just said I'm too much or they said this. And so there's an unthoughtful approach to repressing the self. Then eventually what happens is you repress yourself enough, you get really upset about it, and then you just go all in. And so you have a reaction against that. And it's like, well, you know, F you, I'm going to. So, so that's You're only going to hear about marathoning from now <laughs> until the end of the year. Yeah. That's all I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and it causes resentment in you, you know, because if you constantly repress yourself, this is what I describe as faith. Real faith is the ability to see there's a better way. 
whether I choose to go that better way or not, that's, that's a different thing. But the faith is to actually be able to see it and then choose it. That's faith as opposed to repression of the self, denial of the self, that is that sort of reaction. And it's, it's still very much the ego trying to protect itself. So it's like, okay, uh, let's say as, you know, Shay Lucia, you're, you know, describe yourself as, as, uh, as sometimes trying to fix things, right? So as an eight, you're, you've got more of a push energy. So you're pushing, trying to make things happen. And then you get the the reaction from the world prior to your awareness, you're looking at the reaction and you're interpreting it. And the interpretation is I'm too much because you did hear that at some point you actually literally heard that. But now what happens is because that's a sensitivity could because of your personality, as I was saying earlier, you have a sensitivity, a predisposition to hearing that you're going to hear that. And now everything around you, you start picking up and filtering that in and it supports this belief that I'm too much. I have to pull back on myself. I don't want to. I wish people were not so so weak and could handle it. And then you get mad at the people. But then that's like, but in order to survive, I have to actually pull back a little bit because I do want relationship. And so I have to. So all this is happening. And it's not from a place of awareness or faith. It's from a place of reaction and uh, and and denial and repression of the self. And so this is what most of us are doing in relationship. And we wonder why we have so much resentment build up and then we explode and then we release the, 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 all of that out. And it's met of course, with even more reaction. And so then we, okay, I'm sorry, you know, pull back and then try again. And what we have to recognize is that there's a different approach that we can have one in which there is dialogue with the other person. And I think transformation happens best when we're actually hearing the way we're being experienced by other people alongside of recognizing they have a personality type and they're going to hear things a certain way and they're going to hear things that are maybe not that's it's more from their type and their sensitivity and what they're hearing and then there's also the my energy and what i'm putting out there and as you do that you begin to actually work out a way that is very much it's a faithful approach it's like okay i actually do want to grow in this way because that's a good point what you just said i could grow i could be because it's not all the whole me. That's an aspect of me, right? So like in my case, um, yes, I do like stimulation. I do like new. I like to change things up. I like, and I get bored easily and there's, okay, yeah. But there's also my ability to be very present to people, very present in moments. And when I am, I like who I am there too. It's not like a, uh, it's me becoming something I don't want to. No, it's actually something I really enjoy and really want to, but that didn't come to me by myself, it came to me because I'd hear people say, you're not present. You've, 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 you're already gone in your head. I can feel it. You're not even here. And when I heard that, that would hurt. And then I'd have a reaction. And I'd like, okay, I need you to be better. I need to be, no, no, that's not from faith. That's repression of the denial of the self. That's not it. But when I relax and I go, yeah, there's their type and they're hearing this because of their personality type. But then there's also this thing in me that's true. I feel it. I feel that anxiety. I feel that need to move. That need. And I don't like that. I don't like that anxiety that's driving me. What if I could be more peaceful and present and still have lots of cool ideas and still be moving things forward? But now from a place of I can be present, I can be present to people, I can be present to myself. What if that could happen? And so I think that's the that's the that's the much more hopeful approach, I think, to self-development that's done within community with another, you know, with other people. So 
for a lot of people, I think you only get so far when you just reflect on yourself and you're like, oh, that's, you know, I shouldn't do that. Or I could do more of this. Absolutely understanding how other people experience you and understanding how you experience other people and what you do in response to your experience of them is so huge, right? It's like one thing to say, oh, you know, we know our mom's a type two, um, you know, very, very typical type two behavior, the helper who will go out of her way to do everything, stay up late, making herself sick to take care of other people or to take care of projects for people, but then won't ask for anything that she needs. And then we'll get upset and resentful that nobody's paying attention to what she needs. <laughs> you know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. But then also like, well, I, I experienced my mom this way, but then how is she experiencing, like, what is the back and forth between the two of us, right? You know, that space between the two people, people don't, don't people aren't people in a vacuum, right? right? It's, it is, it is the dynamics between people that gives you the feedback about how you're moving through the world. That community is so important. Something you said, Joel, that was so important that I don't want, I think it might've flown by people's head and I wanna make sure we come around to it again, is you talked about how Enneagram is really about awareness. I you know, had gone through the INFJ stuff and you know, the, yeah. I, I, I wanna call it like Braxton Higgs, but I know it's not. <laughs> It's like Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. Thank Brax you. and Hicks are like the fake. <laughs> are like, yeah, those are like false labor. Uh, that's why I said I knew it wasn't. <laughs> um, it, even like the Gallup poll stuff. I'm like, but everybody has those strengths. Like if you go, oh, this person is, can be very emotional or really sensitive or really stubborn. And I was like, every single person is slightly stubborn. There's not one person on the planet who's not at all stubborn, right? Right. It's right. just how much they are stubborn compared to somebody else, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, how much you're going to let go versus somebody else. So then when we started talking about this, I was like, oh, okay. I see the difference because this is really about more the community, the interaction, how my personality type, my Enneagram type interacts with someone. It's really focusing on that space between two people or three people, whatever it is. But the thing that really struck me right now when you were talking about mom is, okay, she's a two, but she doesn't have the awareness of her two-ness and what that means when she's reacting to a five or reacting to an eight and when she's under stress or when she's feeling, you know, healthy or whatever. And so it's like the awareness is a thing that makes this different. Am I hitting on something at all? Like, I feel like this is really what separates people or, or the, yeah, the Enneagram, right. To me, it's the number one most important uh, piece that is, that I think, I hope, I hope in another 20, 30 years that we have this massive like awakening and realization across the globe that says foundational to everything, self-awareness. This is what causes people to self-sabotage. It's what causes people to not succeed at the highest levels. It's what causes you to have poor relationships. I mean, it's, it's the cause to everything. It's the lack that you, you're not aware. And some people say, well, just awareness is not enough because you need to change some of these things. Yeah, but you can't change what you're not aware of. And so awareness has to do with being able to actually see. And then secondly, to have lots and lots 
of acceptance, acceptance of the self, acceptance of other people. That's not acquiescence. Acceptance is I accept what is, not demanding what it, not not waiting until it's it's become what I think it should be. And, and acceptance is I accept things as they are. It's a full embrace. This is this is what it is, and I choose to give it love. I choose to love my entire self, even the parts of me, and maybe particularly the parts of me that I dislike the most. I choose to love. And that full embrace of the self, full embrace of the other, is what causes us to then be able to move towards transformation. There's no other path. People say, well, change. No, you can change. No, you should just change. Well, you can't. You can't. I've been in those circles where change was the number one most important thing, my upbringing <laughs> and, uh, and behavioral modification. Uh, they were experts at trying to modify behavior and they were absolute failures at it. That's the reality that struck me so profoundly. I was sickened to my stomach when I, when I became aware of just how little transformation there was in the most religious of all spaces. And that is what's disappointing is when you see that and you realize you're really not about transformation. You're about trying to control behavior, which is very egoic. It's what the ego wants to do. It's a way of surviving as opposed to a way of thriving. And so that's the awareness is first, the acceptance is second. And then you can start to work on now can we start moving towards transformation, right? It's the ability to see. It's like your analogy, Shailushi, about the garden. Like you can work all day long and trying to pull the weeds. And that seems to give you a sense of order and control. But when you allow the garden to grow and you say, I wonder what this garden's going to produce. And in some senses, you can plant some things, but in other ways in the spiritual world and this in your own life is you've got to allow, you've got to give room to see what grows naturally and stuff will grow naturally. And you got to allow the chaos to be there for a little bit before you start putting stakes in, before you start weeding, before you start trying to tame that thing is you've got to, it's not about order. It's about growth and order is there to serve that. Order is important. Chaos is important. The things that you want to harvest at the end of the season, right? At the end of the growing season, you also can't let those things just go and do whatever they want. You, you do need to stake tomatoes. You do need to, you know, prune things so that you can actually put the energy into the best harvest instead of just being like, well, this is what's growing here. So have at it, right? Well, not to overflay a metaphor, which we might be, <laughs> but it's, I'm sorry, but so, you know, the dandelions are pretty. Like some of the weeds are pretty. Some of them make the garden interesting. You can't let them just run rampant because then you have not really a garden. You just have a bunch of weeds, but they, you know, those little pops of yellow with the dandelions, those are pretty sometimes and also make the garden interesting. And I think that that it goes along with just not just shutting out or closing out the quote bad stuff, but actually making it part of your entire person. Yeah. Well, that's the reason why, as you bring up, that's a great analogy because the awareness is what allows you to actually make the distinction between what should be and what shouldn't be here. Like it's not, otherwise we're going in there and we're going rip up everything that we don't in, in our lives. Like, oh, I don't want this. This shouldn't be here. And, um, and not, not allowing the deeper wisdom to come up from within that says, you know what, <clears throat> that thing that you're trying to unroot, that's actually good for you. That's actually should be there. That's one of your strengths. That's one of your gifts. I know it's been talked about as being bad or whatever, but that's, that's, that should stay. And then other things that we're not even paying attention to, right. That need to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this leads us, I think, to Art of Growth and what, what you've been doing with Art of Growth with Jim and with Suzanne and growing this big community. So I'm gonna let you talk about whatever parts of Art of Growth you'd like to talk about. People can go to the website and check it out to sort of know its history and what it's about and what, what it's doing now. But I think if there's some particular story or aspects of, of Art of Growth that you wanna share, the floor is yours. This is where you come back down the elevator in the Sears <laughs> Tower. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So promotional stuff is is definitely my least favorite thing to do. But I, what I um, what I love about the art of growth is it's about it's about people like you, Shay Lushi, who've gone through it. To me, that's my that's my joy. That's what I boast about. That's what I tell people about is 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 Shay Lushi's story of growth and transformation. It's you know, it's, it's um, this other person over here and what we're hearing. And it's overwhelming at this point, how much we get back from folks who are experiencing transformation, growth, um, success, all kinds of wonderful things happening in their lives. Um, and that's what we want to continue doing. And so we're creating structure for that. And, you know, some of the things that we're doing is we're creating a membership. So nothing original. Everybody's doing memberships these days, which is part of the reason why I was resisting it for so long. <laughs> but um, here we are. And we're saying people keep asking us after they go through group coaching. So we have got group coaching. We've got individual coaching. People go through it and they'll say, what's next? And we're like, and uh, maybe we'll do another group coaching thing. So we do another one. And that's awesome. And we come to that. But what we started realizing, and you know, Shay Lushi, I think you had actually said this towards the end of our coaching, was uh, uh, of after like a year of going through all of our group coachings, um, is you said, you know, that it's, it's the community aspect, the accountability aspect. That's the thing that's the richest part. And, uh, in, and that's been repeated over and over again from, our, from many who have gone through individual and group coaching. So uh, particularly through group coaching uh, more so. And so what we said was, okay, well then let's create something, maybe a kind of a membership thing. And we are. And so in January, we're going to have, um, we've created this uh, incredible liturgy thing. That's going to be nature's nature has given us it's uh, a liturgy already. So we're just going to follow that. <laughs> so we created this thing. It's going to follow the rhythms and the pattern of the seasons. And so each month, Jim and I, and um, you know Suzanne and some other guests will occasionally do, do will have different people in it. But each month, we'll have um, a webinar that's going to be a talk on that particular subject. So we're going to start with trust, and you know, trusting your body, trusting your mind, trusting your emotions, trusting the weather patterns, or trusting nature. At least the weather you can't trust, but you can trust uh, the rhythms of of nature. And, um, and just learning to what areas are, are, are you feeling that growth is, is next for you and what, in what dimension? And so we'll have this webinar, we'll have this conversation, and then during the week, um, we'll have team meetings and people will get to meet um, throughout the week. Uh, we hope to have multiple ones throughout the week. And so this will be a way for people to do both community, have a family. So we need that when we're growing together. It's really hard work. So we need people that are going to join with us, our own band of heroes, and that'll celebrate us. So we'll have celebration moments. We'll have um, moments of, you know, of, um, of just hearing from each other deeply as to what's going on in your life. And you can share as little or as much as you want. And so we'll create space for one another. Um, and it'll be a safe space. It'll be a space for, um, for growth and for continued growth. Um, so 
that's uh, what we're doing in January. That's probably one of the most exciting things. And of course, I'm doing the certification thing that we're doing. So folks who want to be certified through the art of growth, um, we're going to be giving our best away um, in that 12 weeks. And so looking forward to that. Is that Shulsha, are you signed up for that? I am, yeah. You just want to tell people what's wrong with them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is the joke I have said is now I'm going to be certified to beat people with the sick and tell them what they need to That's do. That's right. There you go. You're being unhealthy too. <laughs> this is how you be a healthy too. Because I'll have the badge that says I'm allowed to tell yeah. them that. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> will you all continue your personal coaching or will that your, your individual coaching? We will. But um, what our hope is, is, uh, is to, through the certification program, to have a number of folks who do want to be uh, coaches um, and be able to start sending folks to um, those that we can trust who are going to be using our system and, um, you know, with their own take. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, I'm definitely not a controlling type as a, as a seven, although that's not true. I do have a lot of control issues, um, but, uh, but I love, I love giving people freedom to do things. I just get really anal when it comes to the purity of the Enneagram. Like I want it to be you know, that's where my type one in me kicks in where it's like, ah, let's, let's get this right. Let's do this right. Um, but uh, lots of freedom for people to express themselves and to be their own kind of coach, um, but using our system. And so that way we can just send people, you know, who are coming to us. And that way we, Jim and I can continue creating content and creating classes and creating um, whatever is starting to emerge because we're we're just that's 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 our best is creating stuff and so we will continue coaching but i think it'll be reduced coaching um and much more creation of things um so how do you feel about that maybe no one's ever asked you that question like, how do you feel no. about that i know that you love the coaching the one-on-one -on -one connection yeah, i do and and um and that's something i will never not do ever I, that's that's just like i've I can't, I coach people. I don't even know, you know, it's like at the gym, you know, <laughs> it's like, say they start to talk to me pretty soon. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, what am I doing here? I've started coaching this, <laughs> but they open up to me. That's the crazy thing is like, you know, these, uh, I'll be, I'll be sitting around, we'll talk. And then pretty soon they're opening up and starting to share stuff. And I'm like, wow. And now I'm not, and then I'm coaching them. So it's like, all right, I know I will always do that. And I love it. It is a passion of my heart, but I've also got this this love of creating content and creating new things. And, um, and so both take up a lot of time. So it's not that I won't be coaching. It's that I'll be coaching a little bit less and doing a little bit more, you know, creation of content and um, yeah. And creating whatever is developing anew because this is always, there's always something, you know, you're, I'm a pioneer. So that's what I do. I want to create new, I see the things that are coming around the corner. I can, I can just visualize it. And then I, I, I talk with folks about it. Like we did like a, you know, this whole thing of creating the membership was like, all right, Shay Lushi, come on here. We need to talk, yeah. you know? So we talk because maybe we're crazy, you know, maybe we're seeing something we're not seeing. And then um, when it's, when everybody says, oh, you're naming the thing, right? Cause we're not, when we see things for the future, like this could be great. This is, it's not that we're like creating something out of whole cloth. We're actually intuiting and picking up from what we think we're hearing everyone saying, right? The wisdom is not in Joel or Jim, it's in us. And so when I listen and I hear and I start to pick up on it, then I reflect it back. Is that what, 
this happening? And many people will say either no, or they'll say, yes, absolutely. That's it right there. And that's what gets us excited. So we create more. So we'll be doing more of that, I think, and a little bit, just a little bit less in coaching, but I will always be, I think, coaching people for the rest of my life. I like that you said that the wisdom is in essentially being receptive and perceptive. The wisdom is being open to other people's wisdom, right? Is listening and seeing and, and being open to someone else's ideas. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I like that receptive and perceptive. I like that. That's cool. (laughs) I, one of my favorite stories that you've told is how, you know, you got into coaching and you're like so resistant at first. And then you're like, I think I need to do this. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how did you not see that? But it's so fascinating when people go, how did you not see that about yourself? Well, so a type eight close friend of mine says, you are the smartest idiot I know. (laughs) That is 100% something I would say as well. Being a type eight, I'd be like, that feels like I could have said that. (laughs) I was like, uh, thank you. I'm not sure. (laughs) And he says, no, I mean it. I mean it. He's like, of course he means it, you know? He's like, yeah, you- I mean it. You're not saying if it's nice, but I mean it. No, it has, it has nothing to do with being nice. It was like, you need to know the truth about yourself. And, and, uh, and so, uh, but he's, he's very, I mean, so right. Like I have this huge blind spot when it came to like my own self. And I think all of us have blind spots when it comes to our own glory. Because I, th- I believe everybody has this divine glory. They are divine glory. They are light. But the problem is, is that our personality gets in the way of that. And so it blinds us to a lot of things. Uh, but yeah, I, oh man, I, I, I actually thought the most boring thing was to do um, therapy, was to be a therapist or to be a, a, a psychologist or to be a coach. One of those three things, they were all boring, utterly boring to me. I was like, that's, that sounds like hell. Like sitting with somebody for an hour and listening to them talk about their problems. That sounds like hell. Why would I ever want to do that? And, uh, and, and the people who, uh, who knew me actually supported that. Like, oh yeah, you don't, you get bored really quick. You'll be talking and you'll be like, yeah, you're off to something else. Um, my wife said, yeah, but you just didn't, you love having deep conversations, but it's going to be around something you love and you're interested in. It's like, yeah, I know that sounds really ugly. doesn't it? <laughs> um, it's pretty selfish, isn't it? But I, but, but she's like, no, but you need the, and you, and you found something that you believe in. But I think what helped me was I, I really fundamentally believe that everything great that happens to us happens mostly by accident. So I have this thing of, um, you know, and I've stolen this title and nobody can use it out there, but it's the uh, I'm working on a, a, on a book called The Accident Driven Life, because I believe that most of what happens to us that is incredible, like big, that really changes is by accident. There was, I forget who said this, uh, enlightenment is something that happens by accident, but you can make yourself accident prone. And I think that that's such a brilliant uh, thought because that is what I've, I've picked up on. I, I wish I could tell the story of the art of growth, making me sound smart. Like we came up with this idea. We did, this isn't even close to true. (laughs) It's a, it's a series of dumb accidents. All we did, all we did right, I think is we followed what we thought was happening internally. What we felt was really the, the, the internal sense of wisdom, the path was guiding us. But when we do that, we also do a lot of things that don't work. In fact, most 
things that we have done have not worked. But we just, okay, living from the truth, the authenticity, the authenticity of our own journey, and then things begin to happen. And that's what happened for us. So the start of, of me coaching was being at going for my certification. Why did I go for my certification? That's what people were asking me, and I had no answer. I made, I made shit up, but it wasn't, none of it was really true. Like, why am I going? The truth of it? I don't know. I just have a sense I'm supposed to. It's, it functioned at the gut level. It functioned at the knower, the inner knower level, not a head, heart, or strictly body sense. It was, it was transcending all that, and it included all that. It was this deep sense of I know, and I don't know why I know. And I know if I say it, people are going to think I'm crazy. And then maybe I'm going to think I'm crazy. And so I had all that happening. I was nervous. I was scared. I mentioned it to my wife and she was like, yeah, I actually think you're right. I think that's what you're designed for. I think you should go get certified. For what though? No idea. I think I'm going to do something with it. So um, I went and started the certification process. And while I was there, I, I met a ton of people that were doing this, like in their, they were coaches, like lots of people. I'm like, you're a coach. Yeah. What do you coach? What do you do? Oh, I'm an executive coach. Oh, do you use the Enneagram? Well, yeah, I'm using, I've been using it, but I want to get certified. I want to, oh, okay. So I started having conversations and just curiosity, leveraging the head center, curious, interesting. Let me learn more. What is this about? What's that about? And so I just tucked it away as that's interesting. And why am I interested in it? And that should be the interesting thing. Why am I interested in that? Even though everything about it sounds like I have this resistance to it. So I just filed it as like, man, okay, there's something there. And then um, it was when I started doing the typing interviews that we have to do for certification. Uh, I had done a bunch and I was, I made a goal for myself. Like I'm going to hit 60 by the end of the, so in three months I was going to do 60 and I didn't want to give myself an out because I know how I can give myself outs. And so I was like, nope, sticking to it. We're going to make it happen. And while I was doing that, I started getting people saying, wow, this is amazing. This experience is great. I'm like, really? So I'm scared out of my mind. I was scared that I was going to get rejected, that people wouldn't want to be typed by me. And I was scared that, uh, that it wouldn't go well. And, but as I'm doing them one by one, people are saying, this was, this wasn't, this wasn't bad. I, I, was I thought this was going to be awful. This wasn't bad at all. And many more people saying, I love this. So then I thought maybe there's something in the way I'm doing it that people like, I wonder, maybe. And so they started asking me, do you, do you coach? And there was this yes inside me, even though I didn't want to, and I didn't know what I was doing. It was like this internal, yes, you should follow that, follow that. And so, um, so I took the next step and started, I said, okay, I'll try it. And then I made a test for myself. How do I feel after, before coaching? How do I feel after coaching? Energy-wise. Secondly, how am I when I come home after coaching versus when I don't coach? Am I more present? Am I less present? Am I happier? Am I less happy? What's happening there? What's the quality of energy? And that was remarkable to me because I was more present at home. I was happier at home. And the energy was not a buzz energy or a hyper energy that I'm used to as a seven. It was a, it was a more of a deeper kind of resonant energy. It was like, I'm here and I'm good. I don't need anything right now, which was unusual. That gave me an indication I might be onto something. 
So I just continued and let the path keep taking the next step or having calling me out to take the next step and me just taking the next step. That's the thing as I, I feel like I've lived my life trying to see, uh, you know, a hundred miles down the road and the faithfulness of following the spiritual path is it only tells you what's your next step. But if you're faithful to take it, it always tells you what your next step is. And if you're faithful to take that one, it'll tell you the next one. Um, and so, um, so th that's where we ended up. And we took some of our, my certificate, I had to be uh, interviewing uh, groups. I had to do group panels. So I did the, we took those and Jim's like, Hey, why don't we put those on podcasts? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. So he puts those on podcast and then he's a week, a couple of weeks later, he says, um, so Joel, we have like 20,000 downloads in two weeks. I'm like, I, we haven't even gotten 500 in like three years on one podcast that we tried. <laughs> what, what, it, what, what's going on here? And uh, so we just, all of a sudden we had thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads. And then we thought, okay, wow, that's cool. And did nothing, literally did nothing with it. Then the then like months later, we decided to do another round. We did another round, and that was even bigger. And so at that point, we thought, there's something here. Let's continue doing this. But we're not very business savvy people. We don't know what we're doing most of the time. So we just continued doing it. And, um, and then people started reaching out for more coaching. And so um, little by little, we've created this thing called the Art of Growth. And uh, um, so, yeah, that's the... Uh, <laughs> that's the this is the accident driven uh life that we're trying to live well i'm reminded of two very very different musicians one is john lennon right saying like that life happens when you're busy making other plans and i think a lot of people think that that means something negative or something like when you're not paying attention life goes by when you're trying to do something else but I can kind of turn it and see what you're saying is like, you have all of these plans going on, you have all of these ideas, and then suddenly life starts happening to you. And you have, again, you still have to be receptive to it and perceptive yeah. about it. But you said, you know, you just have the spiritual kind of helps you make the next decision. It, it gives you the next choice to make. And there is actually, so, uh, you know, the Frozen movies. My daughter yeah, is seven, so I really know the Frozen movies. <laughs> Yeah, But the second movie in Frozen 2, there's this part where the Princess Anna is in a really dark place. She's like, okay, what do I have to do? I just have to stand up and then I just have to walk. And essentially the song is called The Next Right Thing. Yeah. I just have to do the next right thing. And yep. I think that that is, it really lines up with what you're saying is I don't have to make decisions about every single thing and every single aspect of my life. I need to make this decision. And if I can make this right decision based on everything I know about myself, about the space between, about other people, whatever it is, then I'll have to make another decision based on the right thing for that. And I, I really yes. appreciate that. Cause I think so many people try to do so much at the same time and be like, well, if, and I'm, I am very well known for contingency planning, right? What is the worst case scenario? How do I make sure that that doesn't happen all the way down there? And you lose sight of this decision right here in front of you. Yeah. So I very much appreciate that. Yeah. For that, uh, that song, that song was definitely something that I tuned into. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's the next right step. And that's what, that's what causes, as you said, that's what ends up creating your, 
your new reality. If you keep taking the next step that's in front of you, that you know is the one, it usually means it's the one you don't want to take. It usually means it's the one that scares you. It usually means it's the one that also has this deep sense of this is the right thing to do. Like it's, it feels right internally. And it, it sometimes bothers your head or your heart around it, but it feels, but you know, it's the right thing. If you continue to take those steps and there'll also be plenty that are just exciting and you're super uh, thrilled about, um, but then it creates this new reality that you're now living much more of an intentional and your life is no longer by default. Your life is by design. And each one of us can author our own stories. We have the right and you can change it at any time. And that's the, that's the, that's the wonderful, absolutely wonderful news. I've coached people that are 60, 70. I, I've, I've, I've coached people who are 80. So you can change, you can actually start authoring a new, you can, you can start writing a new page. I don't know how long you'll have. I don't know how long any one of us have, will have, but you can start now and you can start something new. And, um, and that's the hope in all of this. That's so, that's so absolutely true. That's so much. And it's, you know, again, going back to that, like, our personality feeds itself. And then we think there's no choice except for the one that we have made before. There's only the, there's only the choice. We're only allowed to make the same choices that we've made before, right? Um, but you and Jim also say something that always strikes me, which is if you're doing it right, it's, not, it's gonna be uncomfortable. You're not gonna like it. If you're making transformational change, you're doing something different, it's gonna feel wrong. You're not going to like it. You're going to go want to go back to the old way because that's your pattern. That's what you're comfortable with. It's like it's that roomy quote, right? As you walk out into the path, the path appears. Yeah, so good. Yes. So much of us, and we all want to do this. We all want to have control over what cannot be controlled. Yeah. No one knows what's happening in the next second, right? And But we all just want to be like, well, this is contingency planning or this is how it's going to work out or this is where I want to be in five years or whatever. And then you go, you know, we, none of us have control over any of this. All we can do is take that next right step to step out on the path and know that the path will appear as we go. Yes. Yes. You watch Ted Lasso. Oh, huge fan of it. Okay. Yes. So something she said, she used a roomy quote, quote, which was so beautiful. I'm going to use a Ted Lasso quote where he <laughs> says, he says uh, something about in the very first, like five minutes where he's like, He's like, is this crazy? And Beard is like, yes, coach, it's crazy. And he goes, well, you know what they say, making changes in your life is kind of like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's exactly what you're saying is like, if every single step that you take is comfortable and there's gonna be some steps that are lovely and wonderful and you're thrilled and oh my God, I can't wait to do this thing, but if you're doing, if every single decision, every single step that you take is comfortable and lovely, that means you're too comfortable. You're not yeah. doing, so, you're not pushing yourself. You're not putting yourself out there. The whole thing is about becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable. And that's possible. You can start to get used to, oh, this is the discomfort of growth. You know, I'm trying to teach my son, like he doesn't like pain. He doesn't like any kind of pain, like even like my legs are sore. Yeah, well, you were bouncing up and down on the trampoline for uh, several hours. Oh, yeah, but it's terrible. I don't like. No, it's not bad. That's actually a good pain. Uh, right. So you're 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 starting to teach your your mind. This is actually good. This is a good thing because it's growth pain, and sometimes it's pain that comes to you, and you're not even sure whether it's good or bad or whatever. But it's it's allowing um, that to be there first, and then 
Um, and then the wisdom comes to you with what is this? What, what kind of pain is this? But we, we suffer in all sorts of ways because we're so fearful of discomfort that we create more problems for ourselves. And so it is taking those steps in discomfort that then starts to, you, get, you start to get used to it. Okay, I've been down this. This is the discomfort of, of, of growth. I'm, I, I got this. I can do this. And, um, and then as you do that, the more that you do that, the more that you can start to, uh, to start to see the changes in your life and, um, and the new stages, new stages of growth. I mean, you arrive at places where you thought, wow, this is amazing. Cause I don't, I don't struggle with that thing anymore. That's behind me. You know, I can, I can really be present. Like for me doing this coaching thing, I've never been able to be present for people in conversation unless it was something I was deeply interested, a subject I was interested in. But to actually sit with people and listen to them talk and allow them to open up and make space for them and be very present, it's all brand new to me. And I love it. Um, I never liked emotion, darker emotions, sadness. I'd never watched my wife would say, hey, do you want to watch this movie? My first question was, does it have a sad ending? And she'd go, eh, yeah, it does kind of, a, no way, hell no. Why would I ever want to watch something that, and, uh, and, and now she'll ask me, hey, do you want to watch this? And I'll take a deep breath. My first starting point is, no, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. But then I go, oh yeah, right. That's the good kind, right? Because it opens me up to something deeper, more beautiful, which is the pain of real suffering and real difficulty in the lives of people. But with, with some, you know, with that, not that like fixating on darkness, but, but with that sense of beauty and love and joy mixed in there with the sadness, with the pain. And, uh, and so now it's weekly, I cry and I love it. And I talk to other sevens like me who, who have started that and they're just like, oh my gosh, I never knew it could be so good. Yeah, it's, isn't it amazing? Because now you're in touch with the deeper part of who you are, and you have this beautiful emotion that rises up within you, and it also helps you to become very empathetic. You start to be able to pick up on other people's emotions, which is something new for me. I've never been able to do that. I have lots of compassion, always have had lots of compassion for people, but not feeling their feels and being able to be present to that and stay with it. This is all stuff that it's you become uncomfortable, you stay with it. And then you get used to being uncomfortable with that, it, it, comfortable with that discomfort. And then, wow, this is amazing. The, what it produces in me is so much better. And that's the hope. That's what I keep telling people is this is so much better on the other side. Like, you know, there is no fully other side, but there is the other side to that particular struggle. You get to the other side and you get to see why that was so good for you. So it sucks though. Oh, it, it totally does. It, I mean, when you're going through it, it's so on, it's so uncomfortable. I guess maybe it depends upon what struggle it is, right? How central yeah. it is to your personality. For me, we've talked about this, Joel, is to drop the anger and to see what's underneath that, that the anger is a really good armor. It, and it's a very motivating thing. If you're angry about something, you want to do something about it. Yeah. What's underneath anger so often for me, and I think maybe lots of other eights, because we're so in touch with that, is there's sadness, there's loneliness, there's fear, there's disappointment, but th those are draining emotions for me where I'm like, well, I feel sad. Well, there's nothing to do about feeling sad. 
Yeah. You just feel sad. Uh, this person hurt my feelings by doing X or Y or saying X and Y. Well, I can't do anything about being hurt, but if I'm angry about how they acted at me, I have something to do about it, right? Yeah. Learning to drop that shield for myself um, and the sword that goes with it to get back at people uh, and just and be like, be, be present in my own feelings, but also be like, you hurt me. I'm yeah. sad to hand over the sword and shield to someone else and be like, I'm giving you the power to hurt me more because I'm telling you, you've hurt me. Well, yeah. It's like so miserable. Yeah. To go through it. But the weird thing about it, right, is you do that. And I've, I've shared this with you, Joe. I know that, you know, you do that. And instead of being angry, if you can, for me, dropping my shoulders, dropping the armor and saying, I'm really struggling right now. I'm really scared. I'm really worried. People react people react with love. Oh my God. I totally know how it feels to be sad or scared or worried or whatever. Instead of like being angry that you're angry or being defensive that you're angry. Right. Then that's like, you just like wind yourself up the spiral even more and more until basically you have to jump off the top of the tower and it's like, there's nothing else to do except for break it open and start over again. Right. You know, you're, you, you think about all nine types, all nine types epitomize something within all of us the eight epitomizes that preparedness to, to, to be, to be in a fight, mm -hmm. uh, the preparedness to face uh, their own demise, the preparedness to face the end of all things, you know, it's that they're prepared, they're prepared for that. And they do so by amping up the energy within the body uh, by leveraging anger, right? So converting um, all other emotions to that. All other emotions. <laughs> yeah. Except for joy. Joy is great. Yes. Joy, happy, fun. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Everything else. Everything else is converted into anger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really interested in what you said about, you know, that's, that's painful. Some of that stuff is painful and that's why people want to put it away. I'm an evolutionary biologist. I have my master's in evolutionary biology and pain, the concept of pain is not actually bad, right? Like evolutionarily pain means something is happening that you have to put attention to. Yes. There's actually a, there's a, a disorder that the brain doesn't, um, for some people, their brain doesn't interpret pain as pain. So it's like one of the most dangerous disorders that medical disorders that you could have because you can get your arm cut off and your brain doesn't realize it. Right. So I find it really interesting. We, cause pain, we interpret it as hurting, which is why we don't like it. But evolutionarily pain is an excellent trait to have, because that means you understand that if something is happening to you that deserves your attention. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, it, it might be uncomfortable, but you have to go through it and it's actually a good thing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's the interpretation we make of everything. It's not the thing. It's always the interpretation we make of that thing. And, and so, it, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, think, like, for example, I had to do some, um, some work around the house that had to do, I had to paint some doors. So on the instincts, there are three dominant instincts that we all, we all have all three, but there's a one that tends to be more dominant. So self-preservation is that instinct that does more of the sort of housework, like cleaning, painting, um, thinking of money, think of health and wellness and all that. Um, that's my lowest. And so when that happens, 
and I have to do something like that, I feel like this is terrible, <laughs> right? So that's a feeling is like, this is awful. I don't want to do this. So I amp up my energy. We're going to do this. I'm going to, we're going to knock it out. Let's go. And then I go. And while I'm doing it, I'm fighting in my end. There's a, there's a, there's a fight internally. So if someone were to call me at that moment, I would probably be like really amped up and hyper and just like talking at them. And the question I kept asking myself, because I know to do this, it doesn't make it any easier, but I know that when that's happening, do I need to feel what I'm feeling while I'm doing this paint, while I'm painting? Do I need to feel that? The answer is no. And so I, okay, so then can you relax? Can you relax that intensity and that frustration? And well, no, because then I won't do a good job because, you know, it's, it's already hard enough. And then I got to really focus on it. It's like, okay, all right. So you got to focus a little bit more. Yeah. But can you relax? And do you have to do a perfect job? No, I, I guess I don't. Right. So the sexual instincts, my dominant, and that's a competitive energy. It needs to win. It needs to do things. So when I'm doing this, I use sexual energy to do the self-preservation stuff. So I'm like, you know, I need to do this and I need to get it right. And I need to win and I need to be better. And I need to, and I can't have any feedback or criticism and I'm already sensitive to that stuff. So, so all that stuff gets worked in there and that's what makes that so damn difficult. It doesn't have to be. And so if I practice, so I breathe, I relax, I work at it. Well, last time I did it, it was still the whole entire time I was breathing and, and relaxing and trying to, you know, to reduce that intensity. Um, but times before then, um, I couldn't even do that. I would just just be all into my intensity around it, frustration around it. So it's thinking about life more in those ways sometimes is how much how much is this really requiring of my of my anger around this? Why do I feel so angry about this situation? you know? And um, oh yeah, that's right. as an eight, I have a, a general distrust of people. You know, it's a trust distrust thing. It's like, yeah, you might have an agenda. You might, you know, so I want to be prepared. And, um, and if I'm vulnerable with you, you're going to take advantage of me. But then other types don't feel that. So um, what, why is that true for me? You know, oh yeah, right. It's true for me because of this reason. Well, my sister and I have talked about this, which is uh, she's met some of my friends that I, you know, hear and knows more about some of the stuff that have happened to them than I know. And I've known them much longer. And I said, how do you, like, how do you do that? Like, I'm a little like hurt that this person's sharing this with you and not with me. And she's like, well, I just tell people things. I ask people questions and I tell them things about myself. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't want someone to come at me with a very deeply personal question. I don't even know, like, that's it. I don't even know <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Like yeah, I need yeah. a while to get comfortable with this relationship before I can tell you something that could be deeply hurtful, yeah. you know, that I'm, I'm unsure about. Um, and brilliant sister goes, well, you might try saying something to somebody that you know that you can trust. And so it was like such a, but the whole time. So I did like one of my really close friends here, I was like, I was telling her something that was little scary for me to say because I felt very vulnerable and the whole time I'm doing it I'm like this is I don't like I don't like this right I'm feeling like 
I'm feeling like someone's basically like torn open my chest and been like, take what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Do whatever you, you want in there. You can stab anywhere you like, right here. <laughs> That's exactly what begin. Yeah. It's not even like, like that people would have bad feedback. It's that they would actually use it against hurt me. Stab you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The flip side of that though is Kosha will just jump in and dive and have very intimate conversations with people. The, the mantra of my life is generally, how hard can it be? Mm. It's going to be fine. How hard can it be? Most of, 99% of the time I'm right about that. And for <laughs> Kosha, it's like, it could be really hard. Oh yeah. my God. What do you mean how hard it could be? I can tell you 10,000 ways it could be really, really hard. Right. 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 So right. there's a reluctance to act. Whereas I'm just like, I'll just do it. It'll be fine. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about how I feel about it. <laughs> right. 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 That's hilarious. That's such a great, great illustration of how that's the reason why we need all nine types around us because you learn so damn much by watching them more than just like, I don't need your coaching. I just need to look at how you actually do this. Like for you, you can go in those places. Like a type four would go in places of pain. They would talk about their inner pain. And I'd be like, that sounds, that's like the worst thing you'd ever want to do. Like, why are you talking about that and staying there? Like, let me help you out of that. Like, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it seems so fixable. Like all you have to do is think of it this way, right? Don't think of the pain. That's a don't really good way of getting yeah. out of it. Look over here. Don't look over there. You know, it's like, it's, it's totally my magic tricks. It's like the illusion, you know, like, to, don't look over here. Look over here. Look at oh, this. No, no. Come on over here, over here. But also like that you said that, you know, in the very beginning, you said we all have all nine types in us. So there, you know, me saying to Shayla, she like, why don't you try, you know, being a little vulnerable with some that you trust? It's, it's not a new concept, right? It is within you. You just in that moment, let that kind of come out a little bit, let exactly. that shine a little bit more. Yeah. That's how, I, that's how I language it actually. So yeah, dead on. That's how I language it. It's like, it's within you, let it come up. Like it's not something foreign outside of you. It's not something you have to go get. Like you as an eight, you're not, you don't have any five in you, you don't have any whatever, or you know, you do because you have an arrow, you have a line there. Um, for those who don't know, but yeah, that's there's a there's line there. But let's say you don't have any uh you don't have any four in you. So very little four, right? Like very little four. Like, can you call that up? Yes, you can, but it's hard work because it's so quiet within you, but it's there. And so that's what we do is talk about how it's all there in DNA form and it's waiting to be called up. It's waiting to be activated and you can't, but you have to be around those people because they model it for you. They, they show you there's a different way I could be. So imagine I could have nine different ways of expressing myself. It's not that I want to uh, at all times, but this might call for me to be a bit more of a, like a two. I'm a seven. I don't have any two in me. But you know what? This situation could invite me into that. Like they, they have an ability to really tune into what somebody needs and then to serve before they ask. That is a problem for them when it's overdone. But wow, is it magic when it's exactly what was needed. And someone says, how did you know that that's what I needed? And you gave it to me. And when I do it, wow, it works. It works really well right? Um, but do I want to live from that every day? No, because I want to live from the strength of my seven, right? Mm -hmm. So 
that's but that's right you can access these different things but you need to see them in other people and when you do think well geez people were vulnerable right shay lucia people are vulnerable and they don't get destroyed they don't get wrecked you know some do but rarely most of the time things go pretty well i wonder if i could try that occasionally right and it's that practice that starts to yield some fruit in your life and you realize i can do this again i can go there again right so um so yeah it's really good really good point so hard (laughs) well (laughs) going back to quote shayla she but it sucks yeah it does it does and i think you know i feel like you joe in the same way which is like i actually don't remember how i found the enneagram I remember generally when, but I don't know what made me go looking for it. But I do remember that it was something to the point where I'm like, whatever I'm doing isn't working for me right now. There's something mm-hmm. about who, who I, how I'm acting that's not working anymore. And I don't want to do it this way. Like you get tired of your own bullshit and you're just like this thing again. Okay. I need to stop doing this thing. I need to find a different way finding the Enneagram at that point when I was receptive to the, I need to do something different was so amazing. And then of course, finding art of growth, like I must've binged to listen to those podcasts. Like, and then what's so amazing about them is there's so, and the Enneagram also is very layered, right? So you get something at first and then you go yeah. back and you hear more and a phrase or something sticks with you slightly differently. And you're like, oh, Art of Growth has been a life changer for me. Mm. Um, And I think, speaking of modeling, you see one person do it Mm -hmm. and then people get attracted. Why are you different? You seem different. What's going on? Oh, you're not doing this thing that you used to do anymore. What happened? You know, and you can share. That's how Kosha learned about it. And Kosha hasn't picked up the torch the way I have, but Kosha doesn't need to. I will continually yell things at her about it. I would tell her things about this all the time. Um, but what advice do you have for people who are like starting out? And there's obviously a lot of different bits of advice sprinkled throughout this entire conversation. But if someone's on, you know, the threshold and they're like, I'm scared and it's so much easier to be who I am. What would you say to them? Right. Cause you, you were in that same place. You're like, I don't want to do this. This sounds like the worst thing in the whole world. And here you are. Changing is icky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the pain sometimes of staying the same um, gets worse and gets worse as it goes and eventually gets so bad that the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. That's one way that we end up changing. Um, we also end up changing because uh, we are maybe our, our are filled with gratitude or joy because something wonderful has happened to us. And that can open up our hearts to what else could be great in the world? What else could I do? And so we might, we might do that. There are various different things that happen to all of us that cause us to begin a new leg of the journey. Um, but for so many of us, we get lost in, um, we get disillusioned, we get lost in despair and hopelessness. Um, And particularly in the last, ah, man, it feels like it's been, it's been happening for a decade now, but boy, oh boy, has it accelerated in the last few years, at least it's been my perspective. It's like, people are 
feeling darker and darker and darker. And that means less hope. That means less, uh, yeah, less hope for change, less hope for the world to change, less hope for the self to change. And some of us want others to change in order for our experience to be better. It's like, well, if the circumstances in my life were different, then I would feel better. If this changes, then I would feel better. And what I want to say to, to folks is that we can wait until there's a new whatever. We waited until there was a new president a few years ago. They're going to wait again until there's, there's always going to be a wait till then, wait till then. Well, this needs to change. That needs to change. And then some of us lose to, go to despair and like, well, nothing will ever change. And that's it. Um, and I think that neither approach, of course, is going to help on a practical level. You're just going to stick in your darkness and that is the legacy you will pass on is a pass is a legacy of darkness. Um, but if you want a legacy of light and you want to pass on something good to the, to the next generation, if you believe that there is enough goodness to, that it's worth fighting for in you uh, first, that's where it begins. That's all you can actually really control and change is yourself. Um, then you become that light that then influences other people who then want to have a little bit of the same that you have. And, and, uh, and that's how it begins. It's nothing new. Nothing's that's ever been said before. It's been said a million times, but that's, that's to my mind, how it, how it happens. And so, um, you can, you have to become real practical. I can live in despair. I can stay there because that's what I feel. Or I can live in a place of believing that circumstances around me have to change first. Or I can get really brutally honest and practical with myself. What is the outcome? What do I want my legacy to be? What do I want my epitaph to be? What do I want to leave behind? Do I want to make the world a better place? Or do I not care? There's no moral value to either one. It's, it really comes down to, do you want a better life? Do you want to be happier? Do you want to be, do you want to see other people impacted by your life? Uh, do you want to do something good in the world? If you do, um, then you will, <laughs> you will. If you do, if you want it, you will, but you got to start to aim your life and take some practical steps, you know, to begin to do that. And I tell people all the time, like they think, well, you've just, maybe you haven't had the hardships I've had. Well, let's compare notes. I, I, I'm quite sure that my life will probably be at least as difficult. And for many people that I've had this conversation with, they're stunned at what I've gone through in my life. I have a lot of reasons to have no hope and to have despair. But that's what it came down to for me was I can choose that path. Or I can choose the path that I wanted to take, which is much more of my type, which is just ignore everything. Just to try to paint a rosy picture all the time but to never actually really change, to face the darkness within. And when you do, you find that that darkness is not darkness, it's light, but you have to go there. And that's what scares you. There's always a giant, right? So in, in, in my tradition, you know, there's like this story of Goliath and what ends up happening is Goliath is actually not a formidable figure at all. It just falls rather easily. Um, so that's the that's the that's but that's our that's the psychological experience we all have is when you finally face the thing that is terrifying. You've discovered that it doesn't have the power it was saying it had. It's the the, the fear of fear that was actually the greater thing. Um, and so, um, well, we we have to take that step. But when we do, and you start to take the step, 
wow, you will never regret it. I've yet to meet somebody who has taken these steps and done them that then turns around and goes, well, what a waste of time. That has not happened. <laughs> I really wish I could go back to being the person I used to be. Yeah, yeah. Nobody says it. <laughs> Nobody says yeah. it. They, they all, it's, it's the same thing all the time. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell you that this is easy. Any self-help stuff that says, just take these three steps and you'll be fine, or seven steps, is absolute bullshit. Garbage, yeah. It is bullshit. You have to, do, it is the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it is the most effective thing you will ever do. If you like efficiency, if you like effectiveness, do this. Because you take that step, you're facing the thing that has always been with you. And when you do, the stories, the arcs of the, all the stories in all traditions for all time, thousands of years back, have the same arc. You're the hero. You're being called out of your shire and you've got to go and you got to go live your life, but you're going to face yourself and you're going to face that darkness and you're going to have to die to that. And then you're going to be resurrected and then you're going to come home. The full arc of the story, you come home. And when you come home, you come home different and you come home with something to give to the rest of the world. And nobody who starts that path and gets that far down the path says, boy, I wish I'd never done it. I say it's the hardest thing, but it's the best thing that I've ever done. I can see that. Well, and it's also, you know, you said like, it's never as bad when you actually, it's the fear of, of the fear. It's the fear that's built up around it. And uh, I, again, there's a Ted Lasso where he's like, I know we're in a dark place right now, but the, the, the fantasy never starts or ends in the woods. That's the middle. That's the climax. That's yes. the scary part. But you start off somewhere, you go into the woods, you have your climax, and then you come out the other side. And I think, you know, that that's exactly what you're saying is like that arc completes. You always come home. You're different. The home is different. The people around you are different. But, you know, you, the, the problems are in the woods. It doesn't start or end there. And that, well, in that episode too, he also says, you know, it's not the change isn't what you think it's going to be or what you want it to be or how you planned it to be. Yeah. But it's, there's always a change and it's always a change for the better. We just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't exactly, you can't control those outcomes. Those are things that you have to allow is I don't, I don't know what the change is going to, I can't change anybody in my world. I can't. I would. I totally would if I could. Yeah. Uh, you, and you've <laughs> tried. If there's anybody that's tried, it's you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She's like, trust me, you cannot change anybody. <laughs> People today are so married to outcome, like it's outcome-based thinking in every, in every respect. I believe in outcome-based thinking. Don't get me wrong. I believe that that's important. That's a part of it. We all have to have a scoreboard. We all have to be able to measure ourselves up against something. But if the, if, if it becomes solely about the outcome, then we lose, um, we, we lose the story. We lose the very essence of the whole thing. Instead of it look, looking at like, I have to have this outcome. I'm starting down this path and I'm going to start doing the work with the hope of if I start doing the work, then my spouse is going to change. Then my partner's going to, then my children, then this. Or, and we start down that we're already, we're already setting ourselves up for a great disappointment. If I start down this path, then I'll be happy. If I start down this, then I'll be at peace. If I do this, then I'll finally be contented. If I do this, then I'll finally not be so angry. If I do this, then I'll finally feel this in my life. What I want to say to you that is the most important lesson that I've learned. And this 
I will live and die by for the rest of my days because it's the thing I have to fight against in me. Because I am that way, naturally, very much thinking about, well, then this, then that, then I'll be happy. Should the pursuit of happiness is utter nonsense. It's the creation, it's, the, it's manifesting what's already there inside you. And when you learn to manifest it from within, then the path is about living now, not the outcomes, not the future, now, right here. I'm, I'm presencing all things, even the pain, but I'm also recognizing that I can choose right now to be content. I can choose right now to be joyful. I can choose right now to be the person that I want to be. It's not something I have to create. It's something I can choose to live in right now. And you're going to live it imperfectly. If you're doing it right, it's going to be imperfect. Because the, otherwise, you're, you're faking it. You're, you're, you're performing for the outcome. I'm going to perform transformed. I'm going to perform like I'm not mad. Well, and that goes back to what you were saying. Then you're doing the thing where you're repressing parts of yourself and you get into that cycle because you're not actually being you're not living with integrity, you're the full integrity of who you are. You're, right. you're doing things to do more of or less of so that you can act like you're, like it looks like you're going down to your goals, like you're making progress toward your yeah, stated goals. <laughs> but then what happens then is you get down there and then you, you repress and you press and then you, you know, have to start over again because you never made it that far anyway. Uh, so I get to ask, I get to ask the final question. It is, what is, um, some examples of your familect? So we know familect means, you know, family varieties of words and language. Um, but we also talk a lot on this podcast, a lot about found family. So I'm sure that there are some fun nuggets you talked about your wife and your child, your son, and then also it, you know, Sue and or Suzanne and Jim, I've heard a lot about. That was weird because you're my in-laws are named Sue and Jim. So, and they were just here. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's... So I'm like, wait, it, who was I talking about? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, can you give us some examples of, of your family act? Some of the words, phrases that if someone was listening, if there was a fly on the wall, they'd be like, what the heck was that word? But you understand it. Yeah. Well, so I grew up speaking i'm sure there's plenty more i just um i can't think of it but i grew up speaking french so that's my first language we always found my siblings uh it was my brother who's a year and a half younger than me my sister who's a year older than me the three of us and then seven years later um my younger brother was born and then my youngest sister and uh but for that for the first uh you know seven so years we would uh we grew up speaking French, not knowing anything other than the French culture. Going to school was tough because we had to learn English and so on. And it was, it, it was uh, quite an experience. But then what started happening, of course, is we became bilingual fluently in both languages, able to think in both languages and finding humor in the both languages, certain words that were just really funny to us. They sounded funny. My, uh, my dad, every time he uh, banged his head, and my dad frequently did this, he would... Uh, he would say, ay, ay, ay. And so we would start laughing, you know, and it was always comedy for us when my father hurt himself, you know, it was like, <laughs> that sounds about right. If he slipped on the ice and fell, we were just dying laughing. And, 
He never found that very funny, but we did. And we enjoyed it. I wonder why. That's strange that he didn't think that was funny. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> isn't it funny? Aren't you aren't you entertained by our by our laughter? <laughs> but uh, but he would he would, you know, he'd try to keep his composure, you know. But he would always say I, I, I. And then he'd say something like, if it hurt really bad, he's like, ah, safe mal, which means that hurt really bad. <laughs> so we would laugh. And so when we were fully bilingual, sometimes we would do that. And then fast forward years later, now when we do Thanksgiving, we do Christmas, every once in a while, one of us will throw out a French phrase like that from our upbringing and we lose it. Like we start losing it. And there's like tears falling off our chair holding our sides because because oh, we'll God. just keep building on it like i'll say like ay, ay, ay. and then uh, someone else will say <laughs> <"Safe mal." You> know? <laughs> i just sounds so funny. and why that sounds so funny it's you you'd have to be bilingual to understand that and you'd have to understand that that is just it just it sounds funny to your english ears you know it's right. like predominantly speak english now so also if you're like passing mashed potatoes and you say safe mal, and yeah. that's funny. Oh yeah, so oh it's perfect. Out of yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so out of context, it's perfect. It's just like you know that's that gets us all going, and then yeah. it's just we revert right back to where we were when we were kids, right? It's oh, like yeah. all, all five of us sitting there, and it is it's a deeply bonding experience, and at the same time, and I think that's what you know is awesome about humor and having these like you call it family act. I love that term. Uh, it's new to me, so I've just learned that today. But I love that because it, it does create that sort of reminds you of your upbringing, reminds you of certain things. And it gives you that kind of sometimes that warm and fuzzy. Um, so, yeah. yeah, we're the two of us have two additional siblings. So I'm the oldest, then Kosha, then we have a third sister and a ah, brother okay. who's 11 okay. years younger than me. So there's a good spread. Oh, wow. Between yeah. The, yeah. Between the four of us. But we have that same vibe. There was I mean, the one thing that really comes to mind right now is that after my little sister and I moved back here. The three of us were going to a wedding out oh on the God. East coast. Yes. And the flight was like taking off at seven o'clock in the morning or something. We were the most obnoxious three people online. Everyone's <laughs> like, shut up. Let me drink my coffee. Yeah. Quiet. And we are laughing and telling jokes. And then like, we get to the hotel where my parents and my brother are. And it's like the whole floor could hear us. And we're just telling these old stories and old jokes from when we were kids. And then the four of us, to the point where my parents were so annoyed where it's like you know my mom would just say you know you kids are ganda ganda means crazy you guys have just gone crazy which is true because we're not even laughing about anything, anything. in particular no i know right it reverted don't know that's exactly right that's when it's like you're just laughing and you can't stop laughing and no one else can stop laughing and it's it is just oh yeah oh it's awesome yeah. It, it is, is deeply bonding and deeply yeah. just like that warm fuzzy is just remember. I mean, and that's what, you know, Femlect is all about these shared stories, these shared origin stories. A lot of times it's like, you know, nobody in this world, I've been married, you know, 15 years. Nobody in this world knows me like Shayla Sheet because she is literally her. And my parents are the only ones that have been there since day one. And so, and, and that's kind of how that family act is, you know, we talked to a drag queen, um, who had a really tough upbringing and family life. And his family act was about his circle of drag queens that kind of lifted him out of, you know, some really dark times and circled him and, and were really, really protective. And his family act was about them. And it's like, that's because that it, 
Femlocked is about shared stories and about the warm and fuzzies. It's, it's what you remember that makes you feel safe because that's, that's what language is. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, and I appreciate that, yeah. Joel, I'm so always amazed at your insight. And I mean, I'm, I'm gonna stop talking because otherwise I'll like veer <laughs> into like fangirl territory and I don't wanna do that. So I'm just gonna say thank oh, you I don't, so I don't much. mind, I don't mind, you can, it's great. It's all good. <laughs> the transformational work is hard and I often hate it while I'm doing it. Yeah, but I would yeah. never look, I don't look back at the person I was three years ago and go, you know, I really want to be that person again. No, no, yeah. I don't. I just would like it to be easier to be the next better version of myself. I wish there was a fast track version. That's for, I would. That's where you're going to make all your money. Let's be clear. Yeah. So, oh, I know. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, as my eight friends says, you're the smartest idiot I know. So I, I won't end up doing that you could stumble so, upon it though yeah, yeah maybe yeah, by accident exactly maybe no, by accident i'm gonna start and, yeah. walking around like sticking my foot out in traffic and stuff like yeah how do i become accident prone yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've typed my husband it's clearly not official but he's a self-pres aide and you said something when you were talking about the cleaning and like making sure everything's tidy or painting you know, the handiwork around the house, that's like the self-press side, that, that instinct. And I was like, oh my God, Brian cares so much more about cleaning and will do it. If I have to clean something or do laundry, you'll hear about it before, during, and after. Yeah. <laughs> so mad about it the whole time. I'm like, oh God, there's so much laundry and look at how much laundry we have to do. And then I'll do it. I'll be like, I'm doing another load of laundry. And then I'll do all the laundry. I'll be like, did you see, why are you wearing clean clothes? Now I have to do more laundry. <laughs> and Brian will just like quietly be like, oh, I cleaned the bathrooms today or whatever. And I was like, I didn't hear about it. It's so strange. But I'm like, he's a self-pres. That actually makes a little bit of sense. That's right. When I, when we do stuff like that in the self-pres, everybody has to know about it. Like, yes. Yes. I painted those doors. See those doors? Yeah, I painted those. Look at all this laundry. Last <laughs> night, there was two piles of laundry here, and now there's none, and you haven't said anything. And <laughs> yeah. you yeah. comment about how much laundry I just did. Yeah. <laughs> Kosha also has some three energy in her. So not only is it like, oh, this is awful, but I want I need a lot of acknowledgement about what oh, I did totally. that was so awful. We were at an uh, event together, and I found someone's wallet. That person's ID was in there. So I was looking for where is this person? And she was just like, there's a reception desk. Just go up to the reception desk and give it to them. Cause the person is not going to look for you. They're going to go to the reception desk. Oh no, no, no. You want to be the one. I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, but I've only been looking for like a minute. Like, give me a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, Oh, you want that person to be like, Oh my God, thank you so much for yeah. finding my oh, wallet. Yeah. I'm a hero. Yes. 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 <laughs> That is what I wanted. That's right. Now we're best friends. Now hug me. We'll be, we're, and we're she together. and I might hit it off and then we can go for cocktails. And Absolutely. We, this wallet lady might be my new best friend. Yeah, it's totally. Totally. Oh, I, I, I have. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> That's, doesn't that make all the sense in the world, Shay Lucy? Come on. <laughs> She's looking at us like. Oh my God, you people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she's like, now I'm getting angry. <laughs> I know. I, say, I don't get that, but my, I don't have, you know, you know, I don't have that. And my energy is like, we're just going to fucking do it. 
a lot of the times and why my job suits me so well is I walk into places and they're like, we already tried that. I was like, you've never tried it under me. <laughs> get your acts together, get your energy together. We're going to figure this out. Right. Yeah. So I don't need to be like, look at me, look at me. Cause I'm already like, look at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, there's not going to be any sort of suave or anything, no. you know, it's just like. I don't have to tell you to look at me because you will already be looking at me. Right. I'm already like, uh, I, I'm already standing on the stage already like, come on, everyone, gather around, I got something to say. Like, I don't have any subtlety about getting people's attention. There is nothing suave or smooth or, no. you know. No, never. In fact, my way of doing that would have been uh, borrowing a mic and being like, Here's a wallet. Did anyone lose a wallet? I'm glad we solved that problem. Problem solved. When you come and get the wallet, don't ask me any questions about myself. I'm not going to tell you where I found the wallet. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you my name. Do you want it or not? <laughs> Good one. I'll keep it. I'll tell you the whole story about the wallet, where it was found. And I, I thought about, you know, this is someone's wallet. And it made me think like, <laughs> Who is this person? Does she play? Why is she here at this event? Does, is her husband here with her? I should meet him. I should ask him where he's from. <laughs> oh my God. I'm always like, next here. I like throw it at people. Here you go. Next. Okay. We should let you go. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. It was such a pleasure. It was really yeah. oh, fun. Thank you so much. My joy. So much fun. So good to meet you, Kosha. So nice to meet you, Joel. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Bye.